Hey guys, welcome back to Digital Artcast. Um, thank you again for tuning in for another episode. Um, we are continuing the theme from last time where we tried a bit uh, of a different format where we're going to use the video interview this time. Um, and of course, uh, we are trying to keep up with uh, you guys' demands for guests to come on the show. Um, so yeah, I these episodes every time they air they're always a bit exciting for me because we get to interview people that you know maybe we've got to talk to before or someone that I haven't heard of before or you know maybe even people that i've admired for a while so um i'm always grateful for your suggestions and uh, please keep them coming um, i'm glad to, to keep doing these episodes and hopefully wherever you are in the world you are being safe during this uh this horrible time that we're in at the moment um today uh we have a really great guest um someone that um i've heard of before but not got the chance to speak to in person at any point so this will be a really interesting interview to dive into to his mind and, and see the workings behind his artwork and his career um if you can please welcome along uh, to get today's guest uh mr tim feeler hey tim how's it going hello how you doing nice to meet you thank you for having me yes of course it's an honor man um very, very glad that you could uh, uh, make time to come and talk to us. It's, it's been hello yeah. from Nola. Hello, from yes. Nola. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, um, when I kind of heard about you, it wasn't. I mean, it was you initially, obviously, but I think it was more like your book at the time that has just came out um, has definitely been making the rounds, and uh, it was something that you know a couple of people had pointed out to me that was out, and and, and people were talking about. Um, especially in the, in the black community as well. Um, so, you know, for anybody who doesn't know you, Tim, just in case, uh, can you just give us a quick intro about who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Tim Fielder, and I am a visual Afrofuturist and graphic novelist. And uh, born in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, home of Elvis, and raised in Clarksdale, Mississippi, home of Robert Johnson. So, and I obviously didn't know either one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I, um, I, uh, I've been doing visual Afrofuturism since I was a kid. You mm -hmm. know, I started 12, 13 years of age, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, but I've been doing comics since I was like five, four or five, you know, started drawing three, four or five, that type of thing and did comics. Uh, because all my siblings did comics. I have uh, three older brothers, a twin, and two older brothers. Okay. And uh, that's what I did. And uh, I eventually, you know, segued from doing it as something for fun. Mm -hmm. Star Wars happened when I was, what, 10 years old, which oh, blew my mind, <laughs> like I did a lot of other people. And then I became a Star Wars head. About the same time, I became a heavy metal magazine head, which you guys out that way would know as Metal Perlant. Oh, so okay. heavily into Mobius, Inky Bilal, Philippe Drouillet, uh, Richard Corbin, one of the American guys here who I had the privilege of working with once in my career. Mm -hmm. And then um, made my way to New York City, which I've been stuck there for about almost 40 years, wow. going on 35, 40 years. Um, mm -hmm. I went there in January of 1980, January 7, 1987, I lived permanently in New York City. Wow, yeah. And uh, been there for a while, and now my focus is, I did comics from 87 to about 99, 2000. Okay. Worked in the video game industry after the industry collapsed for about 
two years in terms mm-hmm. of a um, in terms of uh, the the uh, 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 the um, you've got it. And, you've got and, it. Uh, <laughs> in terms of all of the, I was trying to turn off my notifications. Like, when, when <laughs> you, you hear bling bling from that because Windows. I always telling you, oh, this, it's going to be an update. Like, I know. Oh, always awkward timing. <laughs> right, right. He's like, really? But uh, I, um, I, I think I Ubisoft, right? You've, you've you've done some stuff with Ubisoft and a couple other games companies, right? As yeah, well. I worked for Ubisoft for about a year and a half. And that was a miserable experience. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, it was terrible. Um, uh, but I learned a lot technically. Yes. Learned a whole lot. Uh, but if that, you know, uh, my friend Lou Talamo, who I started out my career with in, in games industry, would go on for years to work in the game industry. He said, yeah, Tim, what happened to you was you had such a traumatic experience. It just basically turned you away from it. And it was yeah. true. I, I basically... I, I, I never played video games. I just, right, just okay. didn't get into it. All right, because yeah. it was such a crazed, insane experience. Yes. Uh, but I respect video games and I respect the amount of craft, the technique that goes into it. So I would go on to do spot, you know, stuff for, for small game studios. Right. Things like that for years while also teaching, did a ton of teaching. That was mm-hmm. how I raised my kids while also maintaining my my developing my ips mm-hmm. worked for about 10 years on an independent animated film that i never finished and right. in around 2013 once i left teaching heavy uh 2012 2013 i went back into comics right yeah. uh and that is when you know everything began to change for me right. uh uh, and and so that's why you know all the the decision I made to go back into comics is what has ended me up here talking with you basically. Right. Okay. Yeah. So and then with the comic scene, I mean, have you kind of made the rounds in different companies? Is it kind of Marvel, DC, Image, uh, Dark yeah, Horse? Yeah, I did it earlier in my career. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Back yeah. in the nineties, I did the Marvel thing. You know, was you know was there? You know, freelance yeah. with them for about three, four years. You know, from like I think my first. Marvel gig was a 90, 90. Yeah, the OG. That was like a posters for Conan magazine, Conan. Right. And then uh, about two years later, I think I ended up doing, um, uh, 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 working for Marvel Music. And I did. It took me about, I guess, a year, two years to do a graphic novel called Dr. Dre, Man with a Cold, Cold Heart. Which okay. was based on Dr. Dre, fully painted in gouache. Never nice. again. Never do that again. <laughs> uh, now it's I guess that was the thing that turned me to digital man. Because my yeah. brother told me, "Yo, man, why don't you paint this in digital?" I was like, "Nah, man, I want to feel." The paint. <laughs> Literally, was saying that kind of idiot yeah. stuff. Like, you know, I want to feel the paint. Yeah. And That's after sad. months of doing it, sleepless nights, I was like, "This is insane." Yeah, so yeah, that well. book really turned me completely towards digital. Right. Okay. And I've never gone back. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even the I think the Marvel DC universe, especially the comics back in the day, was a, a very hard slog. It was a lot of really hard work. And uh, I know actually before I got on a 
video game stuff that I do now or, or even concept art, it was mostly comics that I loved and wanted to do early on. But of course, I learned for that world that it's it's a very, not only competitive place to be, but also a very difficult place to be. So um, I think yeah. I watched an interview... Yeah. Yeah, watched an interview back in the day with uh, Carrie Randolph. I don't know if you know Carrie at all, but yeah, Carrie, uh, he was a, also a black comic artist and he was talking about yeah, yeah, just I know like, Carrie. Yeah, and again, he used to talk about just how difficult it was and like how sleepless nights and got paid so little. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll just, <laughs> I'll go well, and find yeah. about Carrie. Carrie has, 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 you know, aside from like excellence, which is what he does now. Yeah. Like, Carrie has had, you know, I know that. You know, he has to work hard to do what he has to do, but Carrot's yeah. had a much more illustrious uh, career than I have in oh, direct, yeah. in the direct yeah. sales market comics. I'd never, you know, I did mm-hmm. my stint with Marvel mm-hmm. in the 90s. Right. When I got back, I mean, I never even really tried to, to get work with Marvel or, or DC because that industry mm-hmm. is already going through its transition Yes. Now, uh, yeah, where yeah. it's just not as prominent as it was. Of course, yeah, definitely. I think even when I was getting into Carrie's work, that was in the early 2000s when a lot of that kind of dot-com boom was kind of sinking and there was other stuff happening. But yeah, yeah definitely, comics is a it's a, a volatile place to work, but um, but rewarding is if you can really get any of it. So, um, so right. yeah. So then, of course, you're making your own stuff now. So uh, one of your books, uh, Infinitum, which um, has been out and has obviously been getting, you know, attention. Yes. So what is, I suppose, because because the term, as we talked about it, is Afrofuturism. Um, I don't know too much about it. So if you could, or for people, again, who don't like me, who don't know about it, sure. what is that term kind of relating to uh, when you talk about it? Okay, so I'll break down what Afrofuturism is. And keep in mind, my uh, definition of it is just mine. Right. Right, But Afrofuturism is a modality in which uh, you have the intersection of race, race politics, societal and social wars, technology, science fiction, speculative uh, theory, and those things mash together to create form. Right. And the form, which for me is comics. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, could be anything. It could be fashion design. It could be, it could be politics. It could be anything. It's basically any act uh, of that is engaged in by a person of color uh, or a creator of color to create subject matter that pretty much operates within the black experience. Right. Okay. You know, there and you know, like Lovecraft Country was would be considered, I guess, a form of Afrofuturism. Okay, uh, right? Yeah, you know, uh, 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 you know, certainly that mm-hmm. uh, Black Panther, obviously, particularly the movie. Okay, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, superhero comics could be aspects of it could be considered Afrofuturism, but superheroes kind of operate in their own kind of sector. Right, you know, yeah. uh, so something uh, like so something something like Luke Cage would be more kind of present day, less futurism. Well, so Luke Cage is a superhero kind. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. So, so, you know, it, it, which you know, people could say, well, okay, are, can they overlap? Yes. Okay. But right. but for me, Luke Cage is like a straight superhero kind. 
Right, right, okay. Featuring a black character. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it had some elements to it, but that's that's more of a superhero comic. It's in more in that that area. Right, uh, yeah. But when you're dealing with, say, the Black Panther movie, that's when you're dealing with me, you know, from my perspective, something mm-hmm. that's Afrofuturism. Right, uh, okay. Because that was purposely embedded in there. Yeah. Uh, into the content. Uh, my book, Infinitum, mm-hmm. an Afrofuturist tale, uh, yes. is it is straight Afrofuturism, but because the story takes place over such a huge span of time, it tends to deal with multiple aspects of Afrofuturism based upon the period the story is set in at a given point, and that was done right. by per- on purpose. Right. Uh, the story involves uh, a guy by the name of Aja Oba, who was an African warlord in the ancient Africa. Okay. Who was cursed with the gift of immortality by a spurned lover, because he does something really terrible. <laughs> and he is cursed with immortality and forced to live through millennia and eons and eons of time, uh, seeing all those folks who he cares about, he loves, basically rise and wither to dust. The mm-hmm. civilizations, the environments mm-hmm. he in, he, 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 he engages it within rise and fall to dust. And it, it's a story that's designed to immerse ourselves in race and then move beyond it. Okay. Uh, right. And so I tried to do something that was expansive. Uh, so that's from a narrative, the visual, uh, from the written narrative, visual narrative. I wanted mm-hmm. to do the same thing, but mm-hmm. to produce something that was very much a homage to the projects that I love, like okay. heavy metal. Right. You know, I love uh, the visual stuff. You know, the stories of heavy metal were always uh, interesting, I would say. But yeah. visually, you just, when you get into something like Lin Cow mm-hmm. uh, or, or um, you know, Den, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, stuff, stuff always had its, 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 its cultural impact in its rawness with the sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but visually, it was always something like, that was, as it had such an impact yeah, on world yeah. culture, you know, without you know heavy metal, you wouldn't have Alien, you wouldn't have Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like definitely, those things kind of started the trend, and and it was actually it was hilarious a couple of years ago to watch South Park doing a homage to to heavy metal back in the day, and and sure. and obviously playing on one aspect of it, which you said was more of the sexuality, but like yeah, like definitely that. That that series has its place in time and in history and in comics and, and visual storytelling. But yeah, I think there's there's so much that leads into other things. So for you, how did that start early in your career? I mean, you obviously are now have you wrote the book, you've you've published it, you've drawn it. Where where was the spark for Infinitum? Where do you think that came from initially? Uh well, that from different different areas, but the core of it is. Uh, twofold. One, uh, I was tired of seeing black characters with any kind of agency be killed in films. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, the brothers gotta die in Night of Living Dead. <laughs> brothers gotta die. Brothers gotta die in Levi. Brother yeah. has to be a secondary character uh, or mm-hmm. a tertiary character. Or he has to be right. main to give justification to the white savior to go save the dead. Right. And notice I haven't mentioned black women at all. 
because they of would course. oftentimes not be present or be completely erased. Uh, and so that was my one of my motivating factors to do uh, Infinitum was to do a character who couldn't who would not die. He okay. would be. <laughs> I get yeah. it. There. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the whole immortality trope is. I mean, and it's nothing new about that. I and mean, it's done in Highlander. Yeah. It's done in all kinds. Of course. Of out there. Octavia Butler had this really amazing uh, Immortal in her my favorite mm-hmm. book by her called Wild Seed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you have um, you have the fact that I wanted to do a fully rendered graphic novel featuring a black character in black spaces right. that was just as rendered as any other stuff out there. Mm-hmm. But from a, from a graphic novel perspective, but I also wanted to do something that was just as rendered as any cinematic feature. Right. Okay. I wanted to do something featuring epic stories, epic settings, everything as big as anything Akira Kurosawa did with his films. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was the intention. So that's why, you know, there are these, you know, of course I was cursing myself while I was doing it, you know, like, yo, mm-hmm. what were you thinking? You wanted to do all these huge battle sequences, you know. Yeah, it was it was yeah, I want to do that, but then you have to sit there and paint that stuff out. It, yeah, you know, that's course. why I'm old. <laughs> the stress that would involve yeah, I think it's even Kurosawa you were talking about, like, I mean, I think there's so many people generationally that have pulled from his work because yeah, sure. the there would be no Star Wars without the Hidden Fortress. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, Star Wars, I mean, again, people talk about how much that invented, but yeah, Lucas obviously had to pull from somewhere, right? He had to have some inspiration. Yeah, we all do that. I pull from Star Wars. I'm a Star Wars Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I'm the same. I mean, I'm heavy metal in Star Wars all day. Like, I mean, I've got my arms are covered in Star Wars tattoos. Like, I mean, so it's, so it's, uh, but yeah, but like, I think it's it's these key moments in history that our generations of artists, or new generations and, and so on and so forth, have all pulled from the same kind of pull. Um, and, you know, even growing up, Blade Runner was a big influence to me as well, you know. So cyberpunk is now a thing, you know, 20, 30 years later. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, those those roots are, are, are deep for a lot of people. But then it's like, yeah, I, th- I think now we're, we're almost living in a, uh, I mean, difficult for me to say because I'm not part of that community, but I definitely feel like we're living in a kind of a black media revolution where, there is definitely a time where, you know, of course, Black Panther came out. That was huge for the black community. That was a huge thing for everybody, indeed, Marvel especially, but definitely for the black community, that was a huge step forward in, in terms of just cinema and storytelling and including in that culture so much. Um, and now, of course, we have things like your book, of course, now, and, and other stories that are now also coming out. Um, I, I mean, unfortunate, of course, about Chadwick, you know, unfortunately passed away recently. And, um, but you know his legacy is now going to live on you know they're working on tv series they're working in games so i mean i think it is definitely a, a crazy good time and i think it's also hopefully a time that that other black artists younger black artists will now pull from and then of course when they grow up they'll be like oh you know man going to see black panther and, and the cinema was such an iconic moment for me and it really really got me and it, you know I, I think it's just such a great time even when we spoke to philip booty jr you know phil was saying about when he was younger, he was actually acting, you know, uh, very early on in Hollywood, and he actually stepped away from Hollywood because the only roles he could get as a young black guy was stuff like, you know, like you say, things where he'd be killed, or he was a mugger or a criminal, or you know, there was no, 
roles that really presented him as just a normal person. And I think that's why he said working on Black Panther was so important to him and why it was such a big moment because it was a, a term of cinema, you know, that, that was putting black culture in a very positive light. So I think that's what we need is more stories like that, like yours, that are telling these stories that are very positive for the black community. Well, um, yeah. Well, I will add, I don't, you know, and this is where I kind of disconnect the Black Panther and Infinitum uh, mode. Uh, Infinitum is not always positive. Okay, right. What I wanted to do was I wanted to do a story that was uh, every bit as complex and rancid and epic and technologically advanced mm-hmm. and and beautiful to look at as George R. R. Martin. Okay. I wanted to do something where the characters were not perfect. Okay, right. But the thing I wanted to show was that the characters had agency. Right. They had the ability to decide for themselves how they chose to live or didn't choose to live. That was okay. not made by the typical tropes that you see in, in, in basic storytelling, you know? Right. Uh, 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 I think, and I wanted to do that because it's certainly been done in the prose environment. And keep in mind, we're using the term Afrofuturism. That was done by my colleague, uh, Mark Derry, our okay. journalist and cultural critic, uh, uh, back in 94. Uh, so Mark did that. But the practice of showing black characters within speculative fiction has been around, since, you know, forever. You know, right. but yeah. if we're going to deal with it just purely within the modern or quasi-modern experience, then you can go back as far as Samuel, I mean, Martin Delaney, who did Blake's in the Huts of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois did The Comet. And then you had, you know, numerous, uh, 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 well, not numerous, but several books that were done, you know, mm-hmm. Delaney, Sam Delaney, Octavia Butler. And of course, now you have numerous, you have numerous black authors, prose writers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, P. Jelly Clark, you know, is, mm-hmm. is a prominent one. Today Thompson, uh, N.K. Jemison, you know, uh, are those folks. And you have variants of that. You know, right. But within the graphic novel space, it, it's it's kind of just now starting to hit, you know, uh, uh, where where you you, ha- you have independent Afrofuturist comics done by people like Greg Anderson, E.J. Say, and uh, Jason Reeves. You know, uh, uh, you have a number of writers and artists who are doing stuff like that. Uh, but in the mainstream, that's where we're starting to just now hit. Or at the beginning of it, Infinitum would, well, Infinitum would be the first Afrofuturist graphic novel from a major Big Five publisher, which is hard right. to copy. Right. But you know, you you've had uh, what two three years prior to that with the adaptation of Kindred uh, by Octavia Butler by uh, uh, Damian Duffy and John Jennings. They did uh, what Kindred they did, um, uh, Parable of the Sower. I think they're working on the third book now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a parable of the talents. I think that's the one they're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, what else? The other um, uh, John Jennings, David Brain adapt. Well, they adapted uh, 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 after the rain. So it's a lot of those kind of black speculative books that right. are coming out. 
uh, that have come out uh, that after the rain came out, uh, what a week or two before my book did, all from Abrams uh, Megascope. Yeah, uh, yeah. Over Abrams, that's for year. Yeah. So that's the thing that's starting to happen now. And uh, my next book will be doing uh, Maddie's Rocket, which is the book I was known for before that right. graphic novel. You can't even buy this thing anymore. Uh, right. But I, that's because I self-published it in my own apartment, my studio. <laughs> so, but that's the one I'm revisiting now. And that'll be a trilogy mm-hmm. uh, along with my memoirs called Black Metropolis because it's so much insane stuff I've gone through over the last 35 years. Because unlike a person who kind of like, you know, you were talking about the actor who stepped away from Hollywood, I never really stepped away from Afrofuturism. I did right. out all of my work and I paid the dear, dear price for having yeah. done that. You know, it just yeah. it kind of excludes you out of certain type of considerations, you know, and beyond the typical personal issues that most insane artists have, like myself. Right. Uh, you know, those things, they make not just a career, but they make a life. But right. the challenge, and you see it a lot with uh, the, uh, uh, the ascension of black artists over a certain age in the fine art space who've been ignored right. most of their careers. You're really starting to see that, see right. them really just come to that ascension. And they, you know, once you start, Oh, I started 55 years ago, you know, <laughs> and now there's this demand for their work because we're in a period where things are moving away from this kind of very, uh, 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 stay kind of overdone, uh, uh, viewpoint and it's becoming more the word they use is diverse of course but there's that but then there's an the economic component in it people you, right. know, you only have so many versions of Superman yeah you know yep. now what I think the next one Ta-Nehisi Coates is doing is uh, maybe it's a black Superman you know right. yeah. there's a part of me that would prefer to see him just do regular Superman <laughs> can, we, can, we, can, we just, can we get his point of view on that but those, those will be the things that will be – that's what, what's interesting about today is that we, we have so much unmined material right? from the black perspective or from indigenous perspectives. Right. It will take us decades to even begin to get through that. To through, yeah. I think it's even, you know, recently even, uh, again, talking with some of my friends on for the panel we done last year, um, you know, they linked me to uh, Yasuke, which is is coming out. Uh, Netflix, I've, I've made that series, that anime series that's coming out soon. And that also tells the tale of, of the Black Samurai, where people, again, thought that was something that was invented just for now, you know, just to bring attention to it. But then people are like, no, that's a story. That's a true story. That's something that was based on you know, years and years ago. It's been around for a long time. And now, like you said, we're just getting to the point where people need, they're wanting diversity, so now they're looking for these stories. And, uh, and yeah, because a lot of people, you know, have seen the trailer and been like, yeah, that's great, fantastic, they're doing these stories, finally. Um, and, I mean, that's got to be just, a, hopefully, just a positive experience for yourself and other black artists that now there is this opportunity to, to be included in these stories, to be included in right. these productions. Well, yeah. and that's the thing. It's, it's, uh, it's so fascinating to, you know, I'm not 20 or 30 or 40 anymore. I'm in my mid fifties. Okay. And it's so interesting because I've, I've never been this productive in my life. Right. 
Okay. You know, literally when I finish this interview, I have to get to finishing out my uh, for a pitch for my memoirs, which I thought I was done last week. But then mm-hmm. I got some feedback. You need to add this. You add that. And yeah. that's part of the process of just a general working writer. Right. So you're yeah. preparing a pitch for a company. Right. And it's so weird for me because that was not something I ever thought I would do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's also something that, you know, folks who look like me, who operate like me, trust me, I know because I was there. <laughs> we're not really welcome into those kind of speculative spaces. I've yeah. been uh, on a kick where I've been looking at the uh, work of Rob Boutine, uh, the visual effects artist who did the visual effects for the thing. Okay. Uh, John Carpenter's the thing. Cause mm-hmm. that's so, I, I find that film so fascinating because Carpenter really did something that not just paid homage to the idea of the haunted house and mm-hmm. the alien from another planet, but he mm-hmm. took it in a different direction. And he created a film that when it first came out, it initially failed. But it's okay, now right. going on to be like one of the oh, yeah. columns, the primary support systems of horror. Yes. Just yes. And, and because it, it was so cutting edge and so ahead of its time. And the mm-hmm. way the creature and the way the biology of the creature, I always think about that guy putting his hand into the guy's face. <laughs> you know, it sits in there and it's, you can see he's absorbing him inside. There's no biting. Yeah. It's just, you know, and it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, which, I, you know, I'm not even a horror film person. I, I get mm-hmm. scared when I see horror films. I can't watch it. Yeah. yeah. You know, but so what's starting to happen now is that we're starting, the world is now open to us. Yes. And but I'm still very much productive and the type of work I do, mm-hmm. I mean, knock on some wood here, appears to be in demand. And yeah. uh, I am embracing as many smart opportunities as I can because, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, as I was in my 20s and 30s, you just take whatever comes to you. And I was doing right. that up till recently, but now I can't. Now I have to focus just on the work that I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like you said, it's just it's just a great time, I think. And, you know, you wish that it would have came maybe sooner or something, but then I think it, it's definitely great that there is now this opportunity. And, you know, like even talking again about Philip, you know, you know, Phil Boutet has now obviously launched uh, his own studio as well that's that focuses on diversity and, of course, black inclusion. So he has now one of the first concept studios in, in Western society, mostly in America, that is all black, uh, people, working people and then in, in the industry so yeah there's these these studios popping up there's these opportunities there's you know and of course people laid the footwork for that you know way back in the day there was people comics artists and writers that were black that were writing stories and you know one of them that cast my, my mind back even was uh, i forget he said the, the guy's surname but it's, it's kevin is it kevin grevox grevox yeah, um, yeah yeah kevin grevox yeah yeah because yeah, he all yep yeah, 100% yep. Underworld, yeah. So, so like, yeah, those those things have been around. But, you know, he was even, at that point, pitching Underworld as a film because he tried so hard to get into comics for years and was knocked back. But then, of course, once he had the film, then, of course, all the stuff comes running in. So, like, yeah, I think it's just a great time to be included in the world because there's so much opportunity, right? Right, and, and, and also, to Kevin's uh, uh, credit, he kind of, like, set up the template for that. Yes. Like he had, I remember seeing uh, with my brother, we would see underwear and we were just like, whoa. Yeah, me too. Did yeah. He did it. 
I yeah. didn't necessarily know it was Cabbage who did that stuff. Neither did I, yeah, till later on, yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Mm. But, you know, and I met him only, like, once, you know. Uh, uh, but Kevin is, is, is showed the strength of creating a viable IP. Yes, yes. And an IP that has or, or the ability to create an IP or to showcase not just the IP, but the ability to create an IP. Yes. That can stream over different mediums. And yes. that's one of the things uh, 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 that is important to me as, as an artist is to yeah. be able to do that. So it's like Infinitum, you know, is a graphic novel. But I can say with a 90% certainty that Infinitum will be either a streaming show or a movie. That's right. just going to happen. Yep. It has nothing to do with me at this point. It's the, yeah. the the economic system, the media system almost demands that, oh, if here's something that's, that, you know, Infinitum is basically a storyboard. Yeah. You know, self-contained, 280-something page, fully painted right. storyboard. And mm-hmm. you can see that, oh, it's either make an, a, a, a terribly expensive film <laughs> or it'll make a multi, you know, an eight years, you know, five to eight year streaming series. Right. You know, okay. It's going to be a hell of a, a hell of a, a, a role for the main character. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to be the only person that appears in it from one yeah. season to the next. And yeah, yeah. so those are the things that, that were not available to me as a younger artist that I'm now able to, to, you know, to engage in. I was I was telling my wife today, I said, you know, I would would have preferred the 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 opportunities, you know, the financial stuff, which hasn't happened yet. But yeah. But I would have preferred yo, man, I wish this could have happened when I was younger. Of but course, I wouldn't yeah. know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're saying. Maybe it's just the experience that you would have needed and the time and yeah. 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 So, no, when okay. when when the when the, the 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 payday comes, I can say that you know I'm not gonna go out and buy a pink Lamborghini. Yeah. Like, yeah, man. You know, I've always wanted a pink Lamborghini with yeah. yellow stripes on it. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, you know, when you're older, I just look. I just want to be comfortable. I want to be able to do my work. I want to be able yes. to help. Uh, not just younger people. But I want to be able to help artists who are in my generation who didn't get that break. Of course. Yeah. You know, I, I want to do that. I want to not just do graphic novels. I want to do films. I have a I'm working with both of my siblings on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, who are filmmakers. And and, right. and that's what I want to do. Uh, my yeah. uh, agent is Herbal. Herbal uh, 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 Media, which is owned by my brother, Boston Fielder, and he's been fantastic in uh, kind of not just handholding, mm-hmm. uh, getting me through the process of taking my IP right. to this new level. This is aside from him being his own, you know, screenwriter and filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's that's where that's where things are going at. And it's so weird because you're like, well, isn't your focus the graphic novels? My focus is the IP. And meaning that in whatever form I'm in, whether mm-hmm. it be film or streaming or mm-hmm. 
you know, or comics or graphic novels or, yeah. or audio books, which is the next thing we got to tackle. You know, I want to be able to do stuff that's of of um, of quality. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that you should be prepared to put the effort in whatever medium you're working in. Yeah. You want to put your best foot forward. And especially, like you say, if it gets shipped into like a, a Netflix series or whatever, or Amazon or whoever ends up doing it. But yeah, like you want to make sure that it is presented in a way that you feel is consistent with what you had envisioned and obviously what you want to see on the screen. So, so I mean, with, with Infinitum, I mean, you know, this story, like you say, can run for, for years and years. Do you feel like that's something you would be adding to the lore as you go as well or be changing? Or do you think the book in itself would be fine to be put out into the world and then live online as a series for, for many years without you really getting too involved with it again? Interesting question. Uh, if I had to, you know, a lot of things that change just because you age and the times change, you know, for me up till the early 2000s, like I, I, I came up with the storyline for Infinitum around 2004, right? right. Uh, just I was already in New York, but I was uh, I moved to Harlem. Right. And I remember telling my brother the story as we walked down uh, town mm-hmm. from 139th to 125th, mm-hmm. uh, the Magic Johnson Theater. And I told him the story and he said, man, you should do that. Now, I wouldn't know at the time that it would take another uh, 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 15 years wow. <laughs> to get yeah. around to doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. But but you uh, done it. you done it. I did it. I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I guess the the goal is and trying to make sure I don't lose track of the the question here. The goal is everything in its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything in its time. So for me, up till the early, early 2000s or up till the Star Wars prequels hit, my dream was always to do a film that would play with the 20th century. Fox, you know, da, 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 da. <laughs> that was up because when you did it that way, it meant it was real. Yeah. But yeah. that world doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. That world, I mean, it exists. But no, like it used to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah there's the, the, you know, theaters do not dominate. You yeah. know, COVID is. I would say TV and streaming services are really now where everything is. Where, that's, especially that's stuff where like it is. Yeah, so for me, I was just looking at uh, Concrete Cowboy last night with uh, uh, Idris Elba and, and the young brother from uh, from Stranger Things. And by the way, Idris oh, okay. would be a fantastic uh, Oba from Infinitum. I'm hoping he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me take a look at it, right? Yeah. But um, uh, that was a brilliant movie. It was really good. Concrete Cowboy was really good. Very yeah. subtle. I love the way they depicted the characters. And it didn't mm-hmm. fall into easy or trite uh, uh, archetypes or even stereotypes. It, but it dealt with the real. But it did it in a very um, elegant way. Okay. And and it showed a part of life that you generally don't see, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is black modern cowboys and the type of lives and the their loves, their families, and the, the right. hardships, but the successes and the simple, simple joys. Mm-hmm. And I love that film. Uh, 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 and that's what I want to do. Right. But I want to do it within this science fiction scenario. Mm-hmm. And so that means 
because the world has changed, I now see a place for my work within that right. place. Yeah, I think yeah. it's also, yeah. No, I was going to say, I think it's interesting to see the, the, the gap between you finishing the story and it getting published because, for instance, talking to Drizelba as a cowboy, you know, the last thing I saw him in that, as, as a cowboy, was uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower. And then, of course, you know, that was an interesting way to push that film as well because it was so long between the source material being published and then the film actually getting made. So you always take yourself, well, was that the way King envisioned it? Was that the way he thought it was going to look like when he had it in his mind? So, yeah, I think that's going to be interesting if, you know, your, your project gets picked up by a streaming service, like how that's going to be. That's not yeah. if, it's a matter of when. Well, there you go. So, I mean, like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I just yeah. say when, it's, it's because even if you're not in the corporate miasma of what's going on, you could just look on your screen and see what's yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah. So all it takes is not a huge jump to see that, oh, there are clearly discussions going on. Right, yeah. You no, know, without having to go into it, that's that's mm. just, that's just, that, that I'm as certain that will happen as you and I are sitting here talking to each other because no, it has no. nothing to do with us. It's its own economic engine. Right, yeah, another thing. That's so, so, so you would obviously want to be heavily involved in it, right? I mean, would you want oh, to have like a... I, I, yeah. I'm not a proponent of optioning a project and just saying, okay, you guys got to just sit here and wait. I'm not trying right. to do that. I, I'm more in the lines of the uh, the the, uh, the uh, S.A. Corey guys who do the uh, Expanse. They're in right. the writer's room. They're involved in the project. I'm more like Keith Knight, uh, mm-hmm. one of my uh, colleagues uh, who does Woke for Hulu. Yeah, you know, he was just there because yeah. purely just from the, I mean, I, and I'm just, and I'm saying this for the perspective of other folks, not just black creators, but any creator. Right. When you create something that catches on, whether it be a prose mm-hmm. book, something nonfiction or fiction, or or it's a, it's a comic or it's a theatrical piece, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. If you get something that, can parlay, make the jump to another medium. Yeah, why shouldn't you be involved in that process? Of course. Yeah, why yeah you want to know. I would imagine there's some producers like, well, I'd rather not have that. But yeah, we're not talking about that now. We're talking yeah. about you taking um, a spot of ownership in your project, your IP being translated to another medium. Of course you yeah. should do that. Yeah. You know, of course you should do that. Uh, uh, I'm sure Ben Etlin, who did the tech, created this comic book character, and now you've had, what, 20 years of the tech. I'm sure he's yeah. not worried about that. He's okay. Yeah, yeah you know, definitely. That doesn't mean you still can't make graphic novels. Yes, you know, yes. Sam Shepard, who was the, uh, the famous American playwright, did movies, he did plays. He did, you know, he directed, he just did acting. He was, you know, so there's nothing wrong with being a multidisciplinary artist or a multidisciplinary cartoonist or or creator. And that's, that's where my interests lie now because my goals, because, you know, I mean, Gordon, I'll just say it, you know, doing Infinitum was a big deal. Yeah. It's been really, really, I mean, hell, you're in Scotland. I'm in New Orleans, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You're in Scotland. I'm in New Orleans. 
And it means that my work is starting to penetrate beyond just this localized environment that I was in for a while. Now it's yeah. worldwide. Just yes. because, I mean, you could buy, you can buy Infinitum in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You, International. you can get it. You know, yeah, yeah. if you don't do it, you can order it from Amazon UK or what's the other? Waterstones? Waterstones? Yeah. yeah. You can buy it. You know, you know, uh, that's a huge deal. So having hit that goal, now the goal of man, I wish I could get a book that that's now done. Now what's the next goal? The next goal is to can I take this independent project that I had done? And now bring that into mainstream recognition with Maddie's Rock. Yes. You know, can mm-hmm. I do my memoirs, Black Metropolis, and mm-hmm. tell that story, the history of visual Afrofuturism over the last 35 years as I lived it? So it's not just functioning as a memoir, it's functioning as a memoir, it's functioning as a huge art book. Mm-hmm. But of course, you now, do I do it in one volume or two volumes? You know, Cassiero Tomo did Kaba. He did Kaba 1 and he did Kaba 2. You know, uh, Shiro, who did Ghost in the Shell, did uh, Intron Depot 1, Intron Depot 2, and Intron Depot 3. So I'm thinking, well, is this all, is this something I should just put out in one huge book? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a volume. Maybe I should focus on the first volume. So these are the questions I'm having to deal with. Yeah, because you've done the kind of the legwork initially on building that universe, putting that into published and then the paper, and now of course you're trying to just expand on those ideas as much as you can to, right. you know, yeah, bring out a variation of because, like you said, even if like infinitum is something that you know people would take too, but then maybe aren't particularly on, then you've obviously got diesel funk as well. You've got other projects that can be used that are the similar vein. So as as diverse I, I as you can be, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're all the same, right? We've all got these hundreds of projects. But I remember there was we were we were at a, an event a couple of years ago, and it was it was an artist from Pixar, John something, but I forget the guy's name. But he said a quote that at that that talk that was really interesting, where he was like, "Make your ideas, because when you die, if you don't make those ideas, those those ideas die with you." And we were kind of like. God, that's really powerful when you think about it. You know what I mean? Because like there are so many people who have these stories but never get to tell them, never get to publish them, never get to, you know, put them out into the world and have a legacy to leave behind. But now you've done that, right? You've done the thing well, that I, is the I, hardest I've thing. Done, I've done part of it. Yes. So, so let me let me just take a a, a, a a few moments to just speak on that. Yeah. Uh, I will start this off. We all got a dirt bath coming to us. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. No exceptions. Yeah. You can be rich. You can be poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Black, green, mm-hmm. white, yellow, everything in between. Mm-hmm. We all were are eventually going to croak. It yeah. will happen. Yeah. Some people it happens later. Some people mm-hmm. it happens earlier. Some mm-hmm. people it happens about midway through. Mm-hmm. But it's coming for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with what that Pixar artist said: is mm-hmm. that when you die, your stories mm-hmm. go with you. Yeah. The only time. You can make a difference. It's all based upon what you leave behind because you can't mm-hmm. take anything with you. Yes. Yeah. You can't take it with your physical. Yeah. Yeah. The only evidence you have that you were here are the memories and the recordings 
and the printings and the physical objects. We know yes. the Egyptians were here because we have a library of content, a mm -hmm. physical huge objects <laughs> you know, sitting in the middle of a desert. It's like, you know, yeah. that was guys called the Egyptian Daryl, right? <laughs> so we, particularly as creators, have an obligation to fulfill that mandate. That was something I didn't take. I knew it was important, mm -hmm. but now it's super important. Right. So yeah. that's why, and I go back to Black Metropolis again. Mm -hmm. I literally have 35 years of work that outside of the few people who showed up to the gallery shows uh, that I put up twice, first one was roughly a week, week and a half at mm -hmm. uh, NYU Gallatin Gallery. The second one was up for about two months at the Hammonds House in Atlanta, Georgia. But outside of folks who visited that show, mm -hmm. that work has never been seen. Right. Yeah. And it's occurred to me over the last four years, but heavily over the last really six months to a year, because we're in what I call the, my friend Ronaldo Anderson calls it Afrofuturism 2.0. But I'll just call it the age of visual Afrofuturism. It's the ascension where not just written Afrofuturism, but visual Afrofuturism is coming into being. It's important to me and I think important to the community of Afrofuturists out there that this work, my work, be shown because I've done it over such a long period of time and I never stopped. Right. So that work needs to be shown because it's an important document to the history, not just of Afrofuturism, but to the history of Black people within the prism of secular, mm -hmm. speculative uh, content. Right, yeah. It's, 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 it's an extension of what Pedro Bell and Overton Lloyd did for Parliament mm -hmm. with their album covers. So she, she, she say, uh, 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 I can't believe I forget to say the Asian uh, uh, brother who did all of the artwork for Earth, Wind, and Fire, the album covers. Right. Uh, 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 that is, that's what I feel like my work is. And, and I'm not the only person who, who's done work, but I know, I know where I stand now. I know where my, my spot is, but if you don't put the work out, right? Then no one will ever know your spot. Yeah, it's like what is it? History is written by the victors. Yes, yeah. 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 I didn't think that was true, but it's very true. Yes, meaning if if I don't put out a document that showcases the work that I've done over the thirty five years. Mm -hmm. into the world it doesn't exist yeah and that applies for anyone if you're young and you feel like oh my work's not good enough and like nobody cares yeah you have to do the work anyway yeah and sometimes i was just talking with a cartoonist uh, a colleague who uh, uh uh who's you know in his own way has made significant moves in the industry Mm -hmm. And kind of operated a little bit somewhat obscure like me, but he's he's just done this TED talk. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. uh, Alan, R. Allen Brooks is his name, and he's got a million views. Yeah. And we were just talking, and you know, you know, I wasn't successful in the comic book industry. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm actually somewhat successful in the trade industry, the book trade. Right. Yeah. You know, Stephen King, mm-hmm. you know, Randy Telgemeier. I mean, I'm not Randy Telgemeier. I'm not Jerry Kraft. <laughs> you know, I'm not, but I'm in. Yeah. You're a published author. That, which is incredibly hard to do yes. by a mainstream Big Five publisher. So I recognize I made history just by doing that. Yeah. But now in order for me to get my legacy out, because it's about legacy, I have to do it again. Then I have to do it again. Then I have to do it again. Right. That's the important. You, you have an obligation to release your work. It is not enough mm-hmm. to do the work and it stays locked away for no one to see it. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. You know, some people may be okay with that. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. of course. Because I know what it's like to work for multiple decades. No one takes you seriously. No one looks at your work because no one's mm-hmm. seen your work. Yeah. And you give them that power mm-hmm. to determine whether or not your work should be seen or not. I've, I've, you know, I've, I did a long time doing that. Mm-hmm. Also, another thing I would say for digital artists. Uh, I won't go into the name, but there was this one guy who was a department head that I used to mm-hmm. teach. And I never learned Maya. I've never said mm-hmm. this part. I never learned Maya. Mm-hmm. I think I may have said it on painting in color. Mm-hmm. I never learned Maya. Mm-hmm. And I was released from that position. Mm-hmm. And for about 10 years, mm-hmm. I measure my worth as a creator, even though I'm the IP guy, I can design characters, I've taught for years, training other people on how to do that, but I measured my own artistic worth on whether or not I knew a piece of freaking software. Yeah, yeah. The irony being that 10 years to 15 years later, the company that owned 3DS Max, which is the software I use, mm-hmm. bought Maya. Yeah. So when I'm looking online mm-hmm. three days ago on YouTube, ILM released a promotional video on the Stagecraft 2 that they use for the Mandalorian. Right now, my team is trying to learn Unreal because that's going yeah. to enhance what I do within the comic space because I can model yeah. anything. Well, I'm yeah. like, okay, I don't want to have to draw this stuff. Because, I, I mean, I, I did the amount of work I did on Infinitum, which was all digital. I mean, I did a lot of 3D stuff to it. I can't do another book like that, not physically. Yeah, yeah. It, would, it would kill me. Yeah. So I have to now begin to step up the amount of 3D content I use within my graphic novels, which is fine because I model it. I can model 13 hours straight, no problem. Drawing 13 hours straight, not so much. Yeah. So I'm saying that I'll never learn Maya now. Mm-hmm. Because I learned the trick. Mm-hmm. Software is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's the content that you can create, your ideas. Yeah. So Blender has now got, what the, what's that? Is it called Eevee? Yeah, the real time renderer. Yeah. yeah. That's the one that's, and I'm like, here, Bob, here we are. Now a piece of free software does yeah. like real time rendering, you know, not like Unreal, of course, which is my friend Mark, who owns his own game company. Mm-hmm. Just rented out this 3K system because his computer's crap, which is mm-hmm. printed out this beautiful real time sequence in eight mm-hmm. minutes. That's yeah, like yeah. 
would be its film resolution is beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's it doesn't matter now. The software is immaterial. Yes. It, can you get access to the means to create your content? If you want to create be animator 451 in section A for whatever mm-hmm. studio that may or may not go out of business and mm-hmm. everybody laid off, then fine, do that. Yeah. But if you're a creator, mm-hmm. create. And don't yeah. worry about the standards. Yeah, there's yeah. certain software you should know. You should know at least one 3D software program. Yeah, yes, yeah. you should know Photoshop. Yeah. If you can program like my my uh, 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 oldest boy is learning to do, he knows Python. He's in college. So proud of him. Uh, 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 he, uh, he's a physics and computer science major. Hey, man, wow. I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> I don't know anything about that, but he does that because he yeah. he was was a little boy when I was a game designer. So that's what right. he's always wanted to do, you know. Right. You know, yeah. about to get well, son. You know, just because I did that doesn't mean you have to do it. You can do whatever you want. And when they finally hit you at the age of of eight, I want to be a game designer like my father before me, but he does yeah. it in the voice of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. You know, but then he's now 21. I'm like, you sure you want to? Oh, I've always wanted to do it. I love it. Right? Yeah. Okay, cool. You do you, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's all I'm telling folks who are looking in or listening in on this is that mm-hmm. you got a dirt bath coming. No one cares outside of maybe your parents or your mm-hmm. close, close loved ones. And some of them can't even really comprehend what you're doing. Right, you know they, you know they love you. They want you to be happy, but they don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you're trying to make a video game, so what? You know, yeah, are you yeah. happy? Are you alive? Are you main? That's really what they care about, right? So your goal is to do your work and then show your work, yeah, and know your lane. Like my lane, I'm probably not going to be very effective doing other people's work at this point in my life. Right? Yeah, of course. I that. knew it five years ago, but now yeah. I really know it. So every yeah. time I move away from doing my work, things go bad. When I move towards doing my work, things go good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I, I, I rambled a bit towards the end. No, 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 no. <clears throat> I think everything you said was was very apt. I think it was very on point for what we were trying to talk about. And I think for me, I know the thing I learned or I'm learning now is that, you know, I can learn 2D and learn how to draw because, yeah, I want a job working for XYZ company or XYZ game or whatever. But the stories then I can tell with my own work is something that will be more powerful in the end because, you know, even like YouTube, it's funny to think, you know, millennia from now when I'm not here that people can maybe still look back on these interviews and see part of like what I've done. And, and, and it's really powerful to me. And that's, think, that's why I took to YouTube initially because, you know, it is a legacy you can leave behind. So, um, yeah, I think it's the same with your work. If you focus on just what you can create for other people, then that is maybe detrimental to yourself because you have well, the stories to tell. I wouldn't say detrimental. I wouldn't say yeah. detrimental. Not bad, but yeah, like you want if to be able to take that. If that's what people yeah. want to do, yeah, of like course. Yeah. yeah. Plays in George Lucas's sandbox. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> Thank God Dave Filoni and John Favreau play in George Lucas' sandbox. Right? Yeah. Oh, Favreau. Favreau's my hero, man. He is absolutely my hero. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. We wouldn't have the MCU. We wouldn't have 
the Mandalorian, which some people have issues with Mandalorian. I'm like, Mandalorian is like pizza. Mandalorian is one of the best things I've ever had. Bad slice of pizza. Yeah, it's incredible. It's pizza, right? That's what Star Wars is. pizza, right? (laughs) When it's good, it's really good. When it's bad, (laughs) it's still good. It's Star Wars. (laughs) Now, you can have some bad pizza. <coughs> She's still gonna. How many times have you had a bad slice of pizza, but you kept eating it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pizza, right? <coughs> so I would just say, you know, as we come to a close here, mm-hmm. it's um, know yourself, know who you are. I'm now 54. Telling anyone who's 54 and younger. Mm-hmm. So you can't say no one told you. Yeah. Know yourself. Know your value. Don't be a butthead. Mm-hmm. Right? And and understand that sometimes people can say you're a butthead, but they're buttheads. <laughs> you know, this is an amazing thing. I didn't realize that people are like, well, I was told this and told that. And then you realize you were pretty much of a butthead too. Meaning, just do your work, man. Yeah. Do your work. Finish your work, get the work out because people will only help you to do your work. Mm-hmm. And it's going to sound weird. Mm-hmm. People will help you or show interest in your work <coughs> when they know you don't need them to do the mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. and when they see value. It's, it's like high school. Take the same modality what you get from high school. I don't know what the equivalent is in Scotland. And yeah, apply yeah. it to the visual effects, the digital arts industry, and you've got it. Be confident in yourself. Be confident and improve and, and grow your skills so you can have mastery over what you want to do. And just finish. Finish and deliver to market. Yeah, I think that's definitely the thing that, yeah, like you said earlier, that if you don't finish these stories, if you don't tell them, then they will disappear. So, yeah, 100%, I agree. Well, yeah, um, I think that's a great note to end on. And and, and again, Tim, thanks for giving up your time to talk to us. Um, Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Yeah. And finally, go buy my book, man, Infinitum, yes. an Afrofuturist tale everywhere, apparently. Which yes, is weird. everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Well, I'll, I'll leave all the, <coughs> the links to Tim's work below and all the links to his books and, and everything else. So you guys check out that work and make sure you, you grab a copy of the book. Um, I'm sure I will also. And uh, and yeah, I, again, yeah, thanks again for time to come on. Um, if you guys have made it to this this point in the interview, thanks for sticking about and hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, if you have any suggestions for any future episodes, just hit me up down in the comments. Let me know. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, YouTube, iTunes, loads of things. Um, and uh, yeah, just let us know what you thought. And uh, thanks to Tim again. Thanks to you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye.